Good morning again, Lindsley Avenue. It's good to see everyone here. It's good to see our visitors. We're so thankful that each and every one of you are here. I don't know, Jeff will do a count. This may be our largest gathering since the pandemic, so I'm really thankful that all of you are here. Before we start talking about the Lord's Supper, I did want us to have a, another short prayer. Uh, our sister Elizabeth Yates uh, injured her hip, her side of her hip, uh, over the last couple of days or a short time ago. She's going to go get it evaluated, hopes to tomorrow. So let's take her before the Father in prayer real quickly. Father, thank you for such a beautiful day. Thank you for the love that you have for us. And thank you for the love that you have for us as it now shows in our love for one another. And we bring our sister Elizabeth before you. We ask that you would help the evaluation of her hip and back injury, that it, she would be able to get it looked at, that it would turn out to be nothing, and that if she does need any help, she'll be able to get it as soon as she can. And help us to always care and reach out to help one another with each and everything that, that comes to us. And Father, again, thank you for loving us, and please be with Elizabeth for your Sunday prayer. Amen. So, the title of this morning, The Lord's Supper, I have that subtitle below it saying, what's it all about? I'm not attempting to be flippant or any way about it, but the Lord's Supper is one of these things that we do every week, but we don't always talk about why we're doing it or what some of the questions are that we need to make sure we understand, it seems to me. So uh, what I'm going to do, if we talk about it, right, we do this each week. So what are we doing during that time when we partake of the Lord's Supper? What are we actually doing? What's the deal with the bread and the grape juice? We always call it fruit of the vine, but we all know it's really grape juice. Why do we do it every week? When we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, when that time comes, what am I supposed to be thinking about? What should I be thinking about? Is it really all that important? So let's take a look and see. So let's start first with some general thoughts. Uh, the Lord's Supper is also called communion. Communion is another name for this thing that we do when we're partaking of the Lord's Supper. Communion means sharing or fellowship, sharing or fellowship. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, the sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ, the sharing, the participation, if you will, with the body of Christ? And those questions require a yes answer. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are sharing, joining our thoughts with the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We're going back nearly 2,000 years to focus on that pivotal event in all of history, certainly in the lives of all Christians, and sharing in that sacrifice that he made for us. But this communion, this sharing goes in two directions. And that's something that I don't really remember ever being talked about when I was growing up. So when we look at that, it's a communion of the body of Christ. We commune with each other. We do this as a body, a gathering of God's people. We do this as a family. And so when we are partaking of the bread, we do it collectively as one. That is the horizontal communion, if you will, a horizontal communion. You know, I, I've asked people before, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it seems, why do we seem to do it like this? 
I'm going to partake of the bread, but I don't want anybody to see me, and I'm certainly never going to make eye contact with anybody. And if you make eye contact with somebody during the Lord's Supper, it's almost like, sorry, didn't mean to offend you by making eye contact. I think that's wrong. I don't think you get up and you do some huge celebration. It's to be done as a memorial, a memory of Jesus. But if you make eye contact with somebody, whether by accident or a plan, I think the appropriate response is something more like this. Because we are in this together as a family of God here on the earth. We share this event as brothers and sisters. So I don't think you necessarily need to turn around and make eye contact with everyone in the building, but there's a horizontal component to this because we are all in this together as God's family here on the earth. And I think we need to remember that. We also have a vertical aspect to that sharing, that communion, because we are communing with God. We are communing with the creator of the universe who sent his son to die when we had no hope, when we had no hope. And so there's this love that we can share uh, with God, God's love for us and our love for God in the memory of that event where he sent his son to die for me. So two directions, horizontal, because we have love for one another and we're doing this together, and vertical when we think of what God did for us. And we are sharing, we are sharing in that communion by remembering the sacrifice that his son made to save us from our sins. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is to be done in memory of Jesus Christ and in memory of what he did. We had this read uh, before. Paul, in sharing what he had been told by Jesus of this institution, if you will, the beginning of the Lord's Supper, said the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was per, uh, betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance or in my memory. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. By the shedding of his blood, there's a new way to interact with God. There's a new covenant God has made with men and women. And that is certainly the covenant of grace, the covenant of forgiveness, the covenant of a focus on God's love for us and our love for God to change our lives to live for God. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, in my memory. Taking the Lord's Supper also proclaims the Lord's death. When we as a body of God's people here on the earth partake of the Lord's Supper, when that happens in Europe, as it already has this morning on Sunday morning, when that happens in the middle of Africa and Malawi, when that happened while we were all still asleep in Australia, the gathering of God's people has proclaimed the death of Jesus Christ each and every Sunday. And it happens all around the world every Sunday. When you look again at 1 Corinthians 11, he said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's until Jesus returns someday, we will partake of the Lord's Supper and we will collectively, as a gathering of God's family, proclaim our belief, the knowledge, and the fact of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we tell the world, and again, don't lose sight of this, each other. We tell each other the importance of that death, what it means for me, and what it means for each and every one of us. Why do we do it each Sunday? Why do we do this every Sunday? 
Well, when you look back to what the early Christians did, specifically in Acts 20, verse 7, this is the verse we often read about this, this question. We read on the first day of the week, that is Sunday, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul preached to them. Now, I have saved you the next phrase of this because it says Paul preached until midnight. So I really don't intend to do that. That happens to be one of the favorite verses of preachers everywhere because, hey, you know, don't worry about going to lunch. I'm going to midnight. No, no, no. We're not going to do that today. But the language indicates where it says, when we were gathered together to break bread. In English, that doesn't carry the real weight, the importance, the meaning of what the original did. The language is that the gathering was taking place in order to break bread. They got together for that purpose. They didn't get together specifically to take a collection to you know, buy some toys for the kids. There's no problem with that. That's a good thing. God loves you. Here's a toy. I mean, you get the mind of a child. I don't have any issues with that. But the reason they got together was to break bread. And the language for breaking bread is the language of the Lord's Supper on Sunday. Every Sunday, every week has a Sunday. And so that's why the early Christians got together on Sundays, every Sunday together to worship God. And they partook of the Lord's Supper as a primary purpose for why they got together. Early second century writing, Didache, written about 100 AD, not too long after Paul, says that on the Lord's own day, gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanks. Christians throughout the early histories of Christianity got together on Sundays and partook of what we call the Lord's Supper. We do what Christians did way back then. Some of our religious neighbors don't, and I really don't understand why, because the early Christians did. And what we strive to do is to do simply what they did, for the reasons they did. So that's why we partake of the Lord's Supper each Sunday, because every Sunday has a, every week has a first day of the week. What does it mean sometimes, you'll see this language, what does it mean to partake in a worthy manner? If you look again to 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. First, think, understand real clearly, none of us are worthy. None of us are ever going to be worthy to have any kind of praise given to us by God, Jesus, period. None of us can possibly partake in a worthy manner in the way that we might think that the word is meaning, the way that phrase might sound. What is meant here is simply to partake of the Lord's Supper in a serious manner, to give it the serious treatment that it deserves. To, when we're remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that's not something to go to in a lighthearted manner, in a casual manner, where we, we've been texting all our buddies or whatever, oh, here, here we go, you know, or we've been watching a YouTube video, and we may hit pause, maybe, right? No, it's, it's to be a focus of what we're doing, and it's to require seriousness to it. If, if we don't approach it in a serious manner, Paul says... Look at what he says. We are engaging in sin and are guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus because we have approached that central event to being a Christian without the seriousness that doing it in his memory requires. That's what Paul is saying. 
So it doesn't mean I need to be 100% worthy. I have not sinned in 46 hours and 12 minutes or something like that. It means to approach it in a serious manner, knowing that I am a sinner, and we all are, and knowing that my life only has hope because of what Jesus did for me. And I will redouble my efforts to live for God from today onward, regardless of what I've done in the past. So none of us want to in any way approach this in an unserious manner. What should we do during the Lord's Supper? Well, look what Paul says again. 1 Corinthians 11 has a lot to say about this. Paul says, so when we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, let a person examine himself or herself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself, eats and drinks judgment on herself. Remember what Jesus did. That's the key when we're partaking of the Lord's Supper. We are to examine our lives over the last few days, the last few weeks, look at the direction of our life, and consider how our lives compare to what God would want them to be. You may remember, I often put it up on the, the screens, the little graph I draw of what's the direction my life is going. I make good choices, I make bad choices. Over time, does my life show more good choices or does it show more bad choices? Is my life headed in a direction toward God or away from God? That's what I think we should be focusing on. How have I lived the last week, the last few days, comparing it to how God would want me to live? Would God be happy with the choices I've made? Have I been making choices living for God or living for myself? That's what's involved here. If we just eat the bread and drink the cup without this consideration, without examining our lives and a focus on how I'm going to be doing more to live for God, again, we are eating and, and drinking judgment on ourselves. It's a very serious thing to partake of the Lord's Supper. Who should partake of the Lord's Supper? Now, some uh, religious groups have what they call closed communion. They, it's as if they want to see an ID card, right, before they give you the cup. They won't let you partake. We typically don't, we don't do that kind of thing. In fact, I'm not sure of any places I know, uh, Churches of Christ, that would do that. But ideally, since Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. It probably ought to be somebody who's a Christian. Somebody who is a member of God's family because if you're not, we should talk. Because if you're not a member of God's family, how are you proclaiming the Lord's death if you've never said that I believe he died for me and you've never become a Christian by being immersed so that your past life can be wiped away? So that's the way I would suggest. If you are a member of God's family, this is for you because you will be proclaiming the Lord's death every week when you partake of the Lord's Supper. But if you're not a member of God's family, then you ought to become a member of God's family. Let's talk about the bread. Those were my general questions. Let's talk about the bread for a little bit. At what was called the Last Supper, the Passover feast, this is where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. This is another place where we read passages about what it means and what Jesus told his apostles in Matthew 26. We are told as they were eating, Jesus took bread blessed it and break it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. So why is the bread we eat more like a cracker? 
than a piece of bread. I mean, what you're going to get here in a little bit is a little round thing that looks like it's pressed out of a cracker. You know, when I think of bread, right, I may think of Olive Garden. Sorry, I'm a little hungry this morning. You know, some kind of big, nice bread or something. I mean, oh, it smells so good. It's got that rosemary in it or something. That's not what we do. Why is it more like a little cracker? Anyway, well, Jesus instituted, set up the Lord's Supper during a Passover feast celebration. And the bread that was used in the Passover feast was unleavened bread, which will always come out looking more like a cracker than a big loaf of bread. Leaven or yeast is what makes the bread rise. And so because it was during the Passover, because the bread that Jesus used was unleavened, that's what we used. Because that's what was used when it was set up. Tortillas, by the way, most tortillas are unleavened. So I remember when people were having to stay at home because of COVID and they were uh, watching church services and how do I do the Lord's Supper on my own? Grape juice seems pretty easy, but how do I get unleavened bread? Well, the suggestion was made to buy a big stack, you know, you see the bag of tortillas because that's unleavened bread. Kind of strangely, most crackers, saltine crackers that you can buy in the store are in fact leavened. They contain a baking agent that causes them to rise a little bit. So most crackers are actually not the same type of, of bread that Jesus used. Why do we pray before we do this? Why do we pray before we partake of the bread in the, in the Lord's Supper? Well, again, when you look at Matthew 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and break it. The basic reason is Jesus blessed the bread, and that's almost always viewed as praying for it, to bless the bread. He prayed over it. We do the same thing. What does break it mean? Matthew 26. Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and break it. Gave it to his disciples. Well, if you've ever been at a meal with a big old thing of bread on it, you usually have to tear it apart to hand it out. Even with a big thing of unleavened bread, you've got to break it into smaller pieces so that people can get it. At some point, you've got to break it. Jesus broke it rather than simply passing it along and everybody tearing off the piece. He could have done that, but apparently he broke it at least in two and sent it to other ends of the table where they were. The important thing is that it was given to all the followers of Jesus who were present. Is it really Jesus' body? Look again here at Matthew 26. Uh, Jesus, as they were eating, took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And in Luke 22, we read, same kind of uh, situation, another uh, referring to this event. Luke says, He took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance or memory of me and my memory. Well, when you think about it, it certainly couldn't really be Jesus' body that he was handing out right here in Matthew and Luke, because he was still sitting there at the table, right? So from a pure literal sense, he's not handing them his body because his body's still there talking to them. So it seems a little bit on the odd side to not understand that that is figurative or, or symbolic right there when he's doing it because he didn't, I don't want to be flippant, this is not what this is about, but he didn't pull off a part of his body and hand it. It was bread that he took and it's got to represent the body. It's got to remind them of Jesus' body, which he gave, dying for each of us. As I say, the important thing is that that body was given for us on the cross. He died and suffered uh, in his body because of what each of us have done. What should we remember? 
When we say do this in his memory, what should we remember? Again, you know, when you look at this, the important thing to remember is that Jesus' body was given for me. Despite the sinful life that I have led, despite the failures that I have made, despite all the problems that I created for myself by doing what I wanted to do, God sent his son Jesus into the world and he got on that cross to save me from the bad choices I had made. And in doing so, he was scourged, beaten to within a tiny little fraction of his lifetime before he got on the cross. And he hung there rather than calling the angels down to pull him off and died on the cross for me. So when we partake of the bread, which is what we're going to do here in just a moment, we are going to be hopefully examining our lives, focusing on our lives, and asking ourselves, how has my life compared to what I ought to do? I suspect if you're like me, there are going to be some ways it does not match to what I should have been doing this last week. And I intend to focus my life to do better and to be thankful for what he did for me. So let's actually at this point have a prayer and then we will pass out the Lord's Supper and we will then, all of us, open up the top flimsy plastic piece and we will partake of the bread on So if you would, please bow with me. Father, we are so thankful again to be gathered together here on the Lord's Day, to be gathered together as a, a group of your family. And we are so thankful that while we were sinners, you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die so that our sins could be forgiven. Father, there's no way we would ever be worthy of that gift that you sent for us. But as we partake of this bread, we would ask that you would help us to remember Jesus' body on the cross and the pain and the suffering that he went through to forgive me, to forgive us of our sins. Help us if our lives have not been the way they should to refocus and to strive to live for you each and every day. It's for your son that we pray.
Our song before Gene talks to us about uh, the great fruit of life. It's nothing but the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the blood that makes me white as
and it'll start generating some alcoholic content. It just won't taste any, any kind of good. It's very difficult without these processes that people developed in just the 1860s to keep grape juice from turning, right? So the reason, the real reason is since we can keep grape juice from turning, right? And given that we do have brothers and sisters and visitors that do sometimes have a problem with alcohol, that we do it with the grape juice, which is the fruit of the vine. I mean, if, if they had used grape juice that just was squeezed an hour before, it would not have had any alcohol in it. So it still comes from the same source. So that's why. Both are fruit of the vine. And we certainly don't want to put some kind of a stumbling block in front of someone who is struggling by most places by having any alcohol that's actually in it. Is it really Jesus' blood? I mean, same kind of question as the uh, bread before. When Jesus is doing this in Matthew 26, when he is instituting it, it is the wine that's in the cup. And so the arguments have been made for a long time. Does it change in the blood once you drink it? Well, one way to know that that's not what was intended is, again, early Christians viewed it as a slander by pagans saying that the Christians were cannibals, that they actually ate their God, that when they were partaking of the Lord's Supper, that they were eating the flesh of their God and drinking his blood. They viewed that as highly offensive. They wouldn't have thought of it that way in 100 AD, 120 AD, if in fact that's what they had been taught they were doing all along. It was symbolic or figurative when it happened. I mean, Jesus is passing, it's, it's wine in the cup, it's fruit of the vine in the cup. And so we believe the same thing today. The important thing is that Jesus' body was given on the cross, and his blood was shed on the cross so that our sins, our sins might be forgiven. So usually people use red or purple grape juice because it does bring to mind blood, more so than white grape juice would. But any fruit of the vine like that, any grape juice would work, but that's usually why we go with that color. What does the focus on the blood mean? Why are we focusing on the blood of Jesus like we do with the Lord's Supper? Well, the forgiveness of sins only happens because the blood of Jesus was shed. And so the bread helps us focus on the body of Jesus as it hung on the cross, his sacrifice, uh, sacrificing his life so that I would have the opportunity to live. But at the very end of it, as you recall, not only had it been scourged, he almost certainly was bleeding because of that. Remember the spear was taken and shoved into his side and out of it came blood and water. The blood of Jesus was shed. It flowed out of his body onto the cross and onto the ground nearby as a sacrifice for the sins that you and I have chosen to do. The things you and I have chosen to do when we knew better, we still chose to do what we wanted to do. Don't care. I want to do this. I think this will be fun. And we chose to do it anyway. That's called sin. Because of my choices, because of the choices each of us have made, Jesus was put on that cross and his blood was spilled onto the ground because of my own choices. So when we are partaking of the cup, that's what we should focus on and remember. We need to examine ourselves once again and ask, is my life living the way it should be? And if not, 
decide to change so that it will follow Jesus more closely in the coming days. If you would, let's have a prayer again now for the fruit of the vine. Father, we are so thankful again for that love which we cannot understand that you had for us, that you sent your son so that he would die, so that he would be abused by people here on the earth, so that he would be beaten, so that he would hang on a cross and his blood would be spilled to save us, to save me from my own choices, my own sin. Father, we don't understand that love, but we love you for it. We would ask that you would help us to focus on the sacrifice that Jesus made, his blood that was shed, to examine our lives and to focus on living for you more each and every day. Thank you again, Father, and for your son we pray. One question I didn't have on the sheet was how long do you pause for taking memory back to the time and sacrifice of Jesus? Uh, there's no good answer to that. This is the important question, the only really important question that remains. Is it really important? And the answer to that is absolutely. It is so important, absolutely. And I'm so afraid that in my life, in the times I have been gathered together with God's family, in the times that I've taken the Lord's Supper, it has been treated, it seems sometimes, as something quick to get done so we get to the sermon, we can get to you know, class, or we can get to lunch and feed all the other people. Um, it needs to be the focus. It's the reason the early Christians got together to remember what Jesus did for us. Everything we do, our singing, our prayers, our Lessons that we teach should be focused on Jesus and living for him instead of living for ourselves. Communion, we are told to do it in his memory. Keep Jesus in your memory this week. Remember the Lord's Supper. Remember the focus on his life and his death and what that means for us. By partaking of communion, the Lord's Supper, we proclaim that he died until he comes again to the world Perhaps the forgotten part of it is we proclaim it to ourselves. We need that reminder as well. Communion goes in two directions. There is that communion with one another.
that horizontal communion, that we are family, that we are in this together, in this fight against the world together, but also that communion with God, our Father, who loves us by remembering the sacrifice of His Son, that His Son made us to save us from our own sins. So my last question this morning, He sacrificed Himself for you. Can you sacrifice yourself for Him? If you're not yet a member of God's family, please do it today. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Change your life from wrong to right. Confess that I do believe that Jesus is the Christ that God sent into the world. And very easily be immersed in water behind us as we had our sister, our new sister this past Wednesday night do. And become a member of God's family and have all those past bad decisions, wrong decisions, sins washed away. It's so easy to do. You can do it as we stand and sing.